You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Probably you could say I was first really hooked on it around a little before 2000. And, you know, so for 20 years almost, uh, I just scoured the Internet trying to find out where I could find it. Is there somebody in, in, who makes it somewhere? You know, there's there's a million Balkan people in the States. Like, there was just nothing. All the stuff I had was shit, you know. Uh, and every once in a while, somebody from there would come here, and I'd say, like, bring a Rakia, and they'd bring a really good Rakia. And yeah, I, I'd have it, you know, for a day, and it's gone. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I'm very stoked to have them behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice, but more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves music in general, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hop Subtle podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 380 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. If you would encourage one of your music-loving friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very, very stoked to be joined by Bill Gould of Faith No More. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 383. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Billy Gould of Faith No More and Cool Arrow Records. Bill, been a longtime fan. I uh, discovered... Faith No More, uh, when you guys were in the sort of hiatus, uh, probably in 2000, 2002 is when I really got into Faith No More, and then you guys came back, and I was like, fuck yes, they're coming, they're they're back, they're going to play Montreal, they're going to play Heavy Montreal, and then of course Cryptopsy, my band, was on tour in Europe, and I never got to see you, so I've never seen Faith No More, so oh, wow. hopefully oh, wow. one day, hopefully one day we, I do, but uh, let's just start things off with a very simple, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Hanging out with you. I'm happy. <laughs> okay. uh, shittiest question I'm going to ask you from here on out. Everything will get much more pleasant. Uh, how have you been coping with the glorious years, plural, of 2020, 2021, half of 2022? I guess we're almost finished 2022 at this point. And certainly, hopefully, none of 2023. How have you been doing throughout these crazy times? I mean, I've, I've done better than a lot of people. Uh it's been super bizarre. I mean, my wife has an immune issue, so I had to be really, really careful. So, you know, the first year I was kind of living in a submarine. I mean, the two of us <laughs> didn't really leave the house much. And still, you know, she doesn't go out in public without a mask uh, because because of how it is. Um, but, you know, I mean, I did a lot of stuff. And I started this, this thing with Rakia about a year before the pandemic. And it's a shitload of work and uh people drank a lot during the pandemic <laughs> so <laughs> it kept me really busy actually i i didn't really get bored we have this fucked up politics thing happening at the same time right so it's just it was it was very unpleasant i have to say absolutely uh which also tends to lead to making people drink a little bit more which is good and bad good for business bad for 
us as humans. <laughs> I mean, I, I will tell you a story. Like I went on, I was in upstate New York about about a year ago, right? And I'm going with the sales guys because the stuff I have, a lot of people, they don't know what it is. Americans don't really know what it is. If you're not from the Balkans, you never heard of it before. And, uh, you know, so I had to go around and explain it to people. And there was this guy, and we, were, we would go into these, like, shopping centers where they had these huge liquor stores that, like, have, like, just tens of thousands of bottles. And all the people within the 20-mile radius, they, they come, you know, to the store, right? At least two times, maybe three times, I would go to these places and they go, yeah, we bought the grocery store next door and we're going to break the wall through because business is so good, we're like doubling our capacity. That's crazy. Okay. Is it going to continue now that things are opening? Cause well, I don't know, actually. I don't know. Yeah, it, that's hard to say. I don't know. I'm kind of new to this world, but uh, that was a, it was a kind of a strange, I mean, people were hedging their bets like we're, we're, we're going to go for it. We're going to, like, this is here to stay. Good. Uh, keep enjoying uh, liquor responsibly, people. Uh, Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, while sharing a craft beer. Now, what beer do you have on your side that we're going to be sharing virtually today, Bill? There's a there's a local, actually northern, north of San Francisco, a uh, brewery called uh, Moonlight Brewing. They've been around for, for quite a while. Um, they have a thing called uh, Death and Taxes. It's a black lager that I love. And there's a beer bar where I live in San Francisco. I live behind a beer bar actually called Toronado. Pretty well known one. It's been around for, it's one of the first craft beer bars, I would say, for the, with American craft ales, like exclusively that and Belgian beers in the States. They've been around like what, 35 years now or something. Um, anyway, I've been, I've lived behind it forever. So I got into craft beer pretty early, like getting into cool stuff. And uh, this is the thing that I always drink there. This is my favorite. Amazing. Black lagers are amazing. I wish I had one to share with you. I do not. And there are two things that we can't escape, right? Death and taxes, which hits the name. I like that very much. My side, I have a, a brew from Toronto, actually. I'm in, from Montreal, uh, which we'll hit on later. This is from Folly Brewing. Shout out to Jamie Morris, the head brewer over there, for making sure I had this in my hand. Uh, this is Wolves in the Tap Room, which is a play upon the Wolves in the Throne Room. Uh, this is a California Common, which is why I picked it out, because I know you're from California, and it's such a big part of your identity. California Commons are highly effervescent because they're made by fermenting lager yeast at an ale temperature. Now, I've, I think I've only had one of these before, once or twice in my life, this style. So uh, let's see what this one's got. It's got 5.7% ABV. I'm going to crack this, and I would love to hear about your very first beer. First beer ever was Coors Light. I um, Folks went out to dinner. I had the house to myself, and I had myself a beer. It was, uh, you know, it, it, it tastes the same now as it did then. And I, I was like, I remember thinking, I, I think I can get myself to like this as long as the mountains are blue with a Coors Light it tends to work somehow and it goes down the hatch pretty easy cheers to you uh, let's dance into uh, the evolution you living behind the craft beer bar 35 years uh, do you remember the evolution of craft beer uh, stepping away from that Coors Light that you illicitly drank while your parents were out I mean you know in, in school high school was all malt liquor I was a malt liquor guy 40 ouncer 99 cents. Efficiency. That was my night. Yeah, that just got me through the night, you know? Sit in the car, go to a gig, drink the 40, go to the gig. That was it. Uh, moved up to San Francisco, and people were a little more sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, 
<laughs> we we had a I mean Anchor Steam comes from here, right? Um, I mean I went to the UK when I was like eighteen, and everybody was drinking from pints, and it was like I got into bitter there. Bitter was happening, loved it, and and people were pouring pints here, which I I liked. I just liked the fact they were doing that, but there wasn't really anything interesting with beer until we got to about. 1984, 1985, and that's um, the neighborhood where I live in and where I was living in then, um, Tornado opened up. And what I really got off of the Tornado, what I discovered first was Belgian beers. That was the first kind of really interesting thing that, um, you know, they, they weren't cheap, but, you know, they... They had a they had a really good uh, um, like like when I discovered like 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 really ripe cheeses you know there was a certain kind of gaminess about them that I, I kind of found interesting and uh, you know one Duval and I was already like <laughs> basically medicated <laughs> it's a very heavy it's a very heavy warm feeling from a Duval. I can't even drink them anymore I get headaches now it ties into the malt liquor that used to be in though so it was like actually. It, that's probably that was probably the hook. It probably reminded me of malt liquor. <laughs> Sad to say, not flavor wise, but feeling and effect wise afterwards. That too. That too. Yep. No, but even taste wise, there's something in a duel and in an old English. I, I can see the <laughs> where where there's a little bit of like convergence. Um, and then you know I got into lambics and creeks and all that stuff. And then you know we started having these really interesting. Things like, uh, like, uh, who was one of the first ones? It was like, um, well, Sierra Nevada, right? And that started, and then there was Red Hook, and then there was, um, then we got into these red ales, and then, then, you know, I mean, Tornado was like my living room, so I kind of went through the gamut of, <laughs> even though I have to say, like, now it's, it's gotten so esoteric, I'm kind of out of it a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of like the, an old guy who, you know, let the kids are kids are doing all this crazy shit now and i'm kind of you know i know what i like and i and i know what i have very cool and i i as i was researching the california comic because it's not a style that i know very well the first thing that i read no. up yeah was the mm -hmm. anchor steam it's exactly that style of beer which is very interesting you know i didn't know that i be, be honest i've never heard the 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 term California common until tonight when mm -hmm. you brought it up. That's exactly what the California. So, so anchor steam kind of, that's very interesting. It's a weird connection right away. I like that very much. Okay. And then, so you you moved on to out of craft beer, uh, but you're doing something very cool now called Yibiga, which is um, something that is something from the Balkan area, the Balkan. Yes. And it came from your time touring there. And basically it says it's 80% proof liquor with plums. Yes, basically. Um, you've been, you've toured out in the Balkans, right? I have, but I have actually never, never had rakia. Nobody said, here, have some rakia. No. Really, really. That's funny. Because usually, like, when a band comes through there, somebody brings a rakia for the band. Because everybody's family makes it, you know. So everybody's got it in their house, and that's a really, like, a cool personal gift, you know, to give to somebody. That's how I discovered it. I was We played with Guns N' Roses in Hungary in, like, 92, and it was a really early time when that area was opening up. And, uh, you know, kids didn't – nobody had any money, right? And they were taking the bus from for God knows where to come to the show. And um, they, they brought gifts of Rakia, and that's, that's when I had it for the first time. I, it wasn't very good, the stuff I had, but I remember the name and – you know, it's kind of part of the experience of being there. It's like, I'll drink this fire water with these guys, you know. But as I 
came back over the years and I, I went with some punk bands and toured. Um, we'd stay at people's houses, you know, and, and, and people would break out the good stuff, like grandfathers, like stash barrel age stuff. And it's like, Holy shit, this stuff's fucking amazing. And they make it out of all different kinds of fruit, whatever their farm has, they'll, they'll distill it. Um, but plums is kind of like the Serbian thing. And it's just something they do really, really, really well. Um, I got, I probably could say I was first really hooked on it around a little before 2000. And, you know, so for 20 years almost, uh, I just scoured the internet trying to find out where I could find it. Is there somebody in, in, who makes it somewhere? You know, there's, there's a million Balkan people in the States. Like there was just nothing. All the stuff I had was shit, you know? Uh, and every once in a while, somebody from there would come here and I'd say like, bring a Rakia and they'd bring a really good Rakia. And I'd have it, you know, for a day and it's gone. <laughs> one time I had a guy come and he brought one that was like, it was, it was aged for 20 years and it was waiting for their, for their son to get married. That's when they were going to break it open. And they gave me one of those bottles and the dude called me up in, in, in like night night and said, I'm across the street at this bar. I just got back from, you know, from the Balkans come meet me. And I knew exactly he had a bottle for me and he was handing it to me. The bottle slipped out of my hands and shattered on the floor, right? Oh. So things like this, and, and, and again, I live behind Tornado. So like all these guys, these brewing guys, all these guys that like the business here, who I kind of hang out and listen to, they taught me a lot about tequila and they teach me about beer, actually. My, my neighbor works for Sierra and he's just like, you know, I go to his house and drink with him and he, he kind of, you know, he teaches me stuff. These guys know everything, but they didn't know what Rocky was. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to bring it here. You know, it's, I love it. And that's it. So that's, that's my story. I think it's awesome. And it's definitely a big part of your identity. Um, loving the Balkans as much as you do. I know that you've gone back multiple times as like your special place in the world that you've just fallen in love with. Uh, what at the base of it, like what is Rocky? What, what, what? what exactly goes on there it's a distilled product that the plums get added in like the, what what is the science of rakia so 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 well, you know, what people say is you know it's a plum brandy yeah it's a plum brandy because its origin is fruit right uh it's a double distilled plum brandy but the first brandy actually that that came that was recognized was in france and it was in in 1313 but they're finding stills like in like northern bulgaria like southern serbia they go back to like a thousand AD when they're they were making Rocky. Then so this is this is actually proto brandy. Brandy isn't the right word to call it. It's it's its own thing. It doesn't taste like brandy. It's even though it's fruit based. Um, what you do, and I, I'll just talk about the plums. You know, I mean, if you do it right, right, you you, you pick it only when the when the fruit is at a, a time called uh, maximum technical ripeness. It's it's when it's just falling off the tree. It's kind of labor intensive because you have to sit, hit the same tree like five or six times, you know, to get all the, 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 the fruit at the right time. But that's when it goes into the mash. Um, you mash it, um, you pit it, you double distill it. You can actually, if, if you're a good distiller, you can just serve it clean uh, and unaged. Uh, and there's nothing to hide any of your bad distillation. So, People tend not to do that. People like to put it straight in the barrel because it fixes everything. And um, uh, But if you know how to do it with a barrel and you have a good distill it, you can barrel age it from, I mean, the stuff I 
bring in is 18 months only. It's really good. You can taste the barrel, but it can get up to 20 years, well, 18 years. But wow, that stuff's nuts. When it's done right, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. So everything's made over in the Balkans. It's truly Balkan product, and then you bring it over to the States and distribute it that way. This is not only a Balkan product. This is like, you know, I, I learned, I tasted the good shit because I was staying at people's houses, and this was like special stuff by people who knew how to do it, right? But if I go to a store, if I go, to, I go into Belgrade and I go to a store, like, I couldn't buy this kind of rakia, you know? They, they, they went through this period like we did, like with fast food, where it all became about making things to scale, you know, keeping it cheap for people. And, uh, you know, people got used to drinking cheap Rakia, just like we got used to drinking cheap beer. Uh, it was easy. It was everywhere. You could make a shitload of it. And uh, great for business. Uh, great post-war thing to do with industry. And that's that was their problem. So I, I couldn't buy it there. Uh, however, when I decided I wanted to do this, and I went out there looking for Rakia, you know, to do, this country happened to be having this kind of rediscovery of like tradition that forgot about the, you know, just did away with the industrial period and went straight back to tradition. But, you know, we have, we have science now we have, we have, you know, ways of, 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 of doing it the traditional way in the right way. And, and so the guys, my guys that are doing it are these like super traditionalists. I mean, they did it when there was no market to do it and there still really isn't a market to do it because, you know, some of the stuff they make, you know, it's 100 euros a bottle, which, you know, in, in a country where you're making 300 euros a month, I mean, it's it's just not it's not commercially viable. But that's what it costs. Right. And these guys make it by hand, like the way they always did it um, on this family farm on a mountaintop on a dirt road with no address, like religiously correct. So this the only stuff they use is the plums. And the water from the ground that comes off the mountain, and that's it. Uh, so it's this stuff is pretty. I mean, people, you know, yeah, I said, sure. There's some, you know, twelve year age that's, that's amazing stuff, absolutely. And and you know, this farm is in the mountains. You can get some want some on the plains. It's going to have a little bit of a different taste because it's fruit. You have to factor the terroir into it, the land, you know, all these kind of things. But but this stuff is really, if you look at it with quality and not personal taste, it, it's it's unparalleled. It's it's amazing, and it's completely legit. And I, I definitely wanted to say that a lot of like celebrities and people have like their own brand of stuff, but uh, none of them seem as authentic as this. A lot of people just sort of have their name slapped on a product that was already prepackaged. But this seems Absolutely. like it's you that that made oh, this want dude, to happen. This is this is this is I'm as close to this as I am with my music. You know, it's the same fucking thing. Really, you know, you it's it, there's a lot of parallels, actually, because, you know, you're bringing something that people didn't know about and you're sharing something that's new. Right. Like, I mean, I, I used to love even when we were touring at Faith No More, like in the early days, you know, this shitty, shitty truck, um, <laughs> just like turning people onto us for the first time that never yeah. had a, heard a band like that. It's great. You know, they're excited. It makes me excited. You know, we're doing something cool. And and turning people onto this stuff is, is kind of the same kind of feeling. And there's a lot of freaks in this business too, like music, right? Which I like. But I mean the spirit the the the, the, the spirits business has some really smart, interesting, and I dare say sensitive people. Like oh, yes. people with amazing taste, right? 
taste things that are way past me, right? But they're but they're for real. They're totally for real, and they they can tell you why they're like that. And it's it's fascinating, fascinating. Amazing. Uh, classic Vox and Hops question at this point, and I saw a little bit about it when I was doing research before this, but I'm curious to go a little bit deeper. Is uh, the soundtrack of your youth, when you were growing up in your parents or guardian's house, uh, what music did they, your parents or guardians listen to? You know, my dad loved music, loved listening listen to the radio all the time. Uh, my mom wasn't such a music person. My dad really was. You know, he was kind of a, you know, if you look on the surface, he was a lawyer. He was a kind of, you know, regular business guy, you know, he, he, he was, you know, I came from a family of six kids, you know, and he kind of kept it, things pretty straight, you know, father-like, but he had some pretty extreme musical taste. Like when I was nine years old, he took me to see David Bowie at the, uh, when he was playing with Ziggy Stardust, uh, that tour. And he's a straight dude. We were the straightest people in that whole place. Uh, but he was into it, you know. He didn't. He, he had a side. That he didn't show me very much, but obviously he existed. Um, another. He he really loved the Beatles, uh, and he loved like um, that John Lennon record, Plastic Ono Band, was was one of the things he had. And George Harrison, All Things Must Pass, big one. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. I mean, even when he got older, he he died, but. Even, you know, towards the end, like, he was out seeing Sonic Youth and stuff like that. <laughs> he'd give me lectures, like, stuff that I got kind of, you know, old party on that I stopped paying attention to. He'd kind of, you know, <laughs> tell me what's going on. <laughs> That's amazing. What would be one of those bands that, that, that your, your dad understood, but you didn't understand, as, as you were just talking about? Oh, oh, jeez, uh, I can't even remember the names of them. I mean, this, we're talking like 10, 15 years ago. Just stuff like, ah, uh, you know. I remember he was really trying to sell me on the hives, and I was like, nah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so, so music has been a big part of your life. Um, it's always there for you. At this point, you're running Cool Arrow Records. Um, talk to me about that, the, the idea of, of having your own label. I think that it's cool that both you and Mike have started your own record labels, yet they're completely different. Uh, I think it's so interesting. Talk to me about that, please. Uh, yeah, you know, Faith No More was splitting up, um, 1997, 1998. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? You know, like, I want to work with music, but this band thing, I mean, when the time we split up there, we were pretty tired of each other. And, you know, just a lot of, there's a lot of politics of being in a band, as you know, you know, and, and, and it's just, I'm just a little tired of that, that, that rat race part of it. But I still wanted to like do stuff that kept me excited. And, um, you know, I, I realized all those years I was touring, like, people were giving me really cool, well, I mean, you know, you hear a lot of bad music, but really <laughs> cool music, too. I met a lot of guys in bands, like a band in Finland that nobody knew who they were uh, out here, but they were actually kind of popular there, and the music was actually really good. And I'm like, I was just thinking, there was just so many cool things that never make its way here. You know, we export all of our stuff. Everybody knows it's American shit, but we don't we're not getting any oxygen from, from outside. And I just kind of thought, you know, it, it, it's something that I don't know if it's going to work or not. It didn't really work, but it was a really, it was a, it was a noble cause um, to be a pipeline kind of bringing some stuff from outside into this little bubble we have, you know, culturally. So that's what I started doing. I started with, I think the first band I did, there was a band from actually the first band, the reason we did it, I was in a band called Brujeria. Um, so, so, so we, 
We're free to do whatever we wanted at the time. And uh, the singer and I, we went to high school together and, and he's like, you know, we'll do the label. And um, I didn't, I kind of didn't really want to do it uh, as like a label label. I wanted to do something exciting. And I worked in this, well, this, there's this foreign stuff, there's this other stuff. He said, okay, that's perfect. Let's do that. And so I think we did this first thing that was called Spanglish 101, where it was a compilation of like a lot of Latin American uh, artists from from all over Latin America, and the whole point was like, you know, this isn't just like you know mariachi music and, and you know all this like like world music cliche. Like all of this world music thing was really popular then. We're talking, you know, late '90s, and it's like every Starbucks was playing some you know something from Timbuktu. You know, this this like hy- hyper exaggerated ethnic music. You know, well produced, and and I was like, you know, what are these poor fucking kids? You know, in Uruguay, you know, and, and we all we think that they do is like roast cow all the time and, and play these little guitars. You know, they're modern people, you know, and they're doing and they have they have their cultural roots, but they're but they're doing new stuff. They they listen to all the stuff we listen to. Uh, so it was exciting. You know, we, we, we did something like that. And it was exciting to kind of work with bands that were kind of like they knew what we had, but they were putting a little something of themselves in it. There was more. It was a deeper story. It wasn't just being in a tour, you know, being a band, going on tour, you know, there was something a little deeper. There's a, there's a certain driven need that they had. And, and so I worked with a band from Australia called not from there. They're awesome. Uh, this band from Russia, naive. I went out there for about two months and recorded them. And it was insane, completely insane experience on its own and fucked up. And it was in the nineties when, you know, the mafia thing was huge and, cocaine had just arrived and it was just the studio was so insanely it wasn't bad but it was it was it was ridiculous (laughs) and we had we 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 recorded from like 5 p.m to 5 a.m every day because that was the only time we could get the studio time but we did it for like three weeks or a month so it was just it was just ridiculous um put that out those guys were out of control. The band was out of control. Um, it was kind of like, you know, there's no tomorrow here. So, like, you know, next, you know, Sex Pistols say no future. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, Moscow is no future, you know, for wow. real. Uh, and, and those guys actually turned out, their lives kind of went in different directions after that. They actually became a little more popular and they kind of became a little bit professional, which I, I wouldn't have expected. But they did. Um Worked with um, a hip-hop band from Spain that was really cool called Siete Notas. There was, um, like, I have, Jesus, a ton of stuff. I mean, I think we're on our 50th release now or something. And now I'm only doing, like, I'm only doing, like, two per year now uh, because a lot of bands really don't need me. I mean, they can get their stuff on streaming services. Now, all my stuff really is streaming service. That's all my reports are coming at streaming service. Like, you don't need me. I mean, I'm I'm happy to curate you. Yeah. If, if my name helps, I'm happy to say I'm involved, but you don't need me to take some of your royalties just to, to, to do this administration shit. You can do that yourself. Um, but there's a band that, that I'm just put out from Russia last month called U.S.S.S.Y. They're awesome. Uh, they they're now in Armenia because they get the fuck out of Russia <laughs> like fast. Um, but they they play they do uh, this. Uh, kind of 70s influence Afghani microtonal uh, guitar Amazing. with drums. And there's a band I've heard you probably heard called Lightning Bolt, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they're like that, but but with, with microtonal melodies. But they do it legit. They do it right. 
it's good. So uh, uh, that's the last thing we did. And really, it was like, you know, got to help the dudes out, man. They're like, I mean, you know, last, you know, in a month's time, you know, this war started. And these guys they had to leave. Otherwise, they're going to go straight to the front. And, you know, it's like, what are they going to do? And it's like, we know what we can do with our music. And, you know, we're getting boycotted because we're Russian. It's like, you know, okay, you I can at least make a home for that, and I can make that work. Good for you doing that and, and giving artists across the world just a little bit more of a platform to get some eyes and ears on them. Tell you, this is, I mean, I live in a really ignorant country, you know, like everybody loves the, loves a good story, like the story I'm telling, but it really comes to to, 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 to ponying up and like, you know, not talking about it, but actually, you know, supporting it. It's, it's tough. You know, it's a tough place. We, we, we have everything we need here. That's true. <laughs> you know, we're, we're comfortable. That is true. You know, it's, it's not like we're bad people. I mean, there's great music coming out of the States, too. And there's great people who live here. It's just, you know, when you look at the size of the machine, it's just very hard to get that, get a voice in there. You know, that is very true. Uh, Brujeria, I played with them once. Um, I, I knew about the band. I knew what they were about, but actually seeing it. I played with them probably four or five years ago in London, Cryptopsy. Oh, cool. Um, it was a festival run I think we were doing, and then the London date was with Brujeria. And uh, I thought it was awesome. I, and I think that the, the revolving lineup that they've had over the years is, is also very interesting because most of the artists, such as yourself, are getting to do something completely different from what they've done before. Right. Right. I would say that's true. Diving into to way more aggressive stuff. Um you know, when I played with them, they had Jeff from from Carcass that was a part of the lineup at that point, and uh, machetes, and it, it was just it was just an interesting evening, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so your experience with Brujeria going so extreme for because Faith No More has some extremity to it, and the way you play the bass, the attack that you've learned to teach your hand to mimic that amp that you had when you were younger that was broken but you love the fact that it gave this punch and you've learned to do that on every amp even good amps now uh how did you adapt that technique to playing more grindcore type stuff you know i discovered grindcore through the guys in brujeria i went to high school with, with most of them when we started and we just you know drink more liquor together and listen to music in the car <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember they played me napalm death for the yeah. first time and it was just like wow it was kind of a hard thing to conceptualize at first. Like, it's like, wow, they really like, they really are not structuring this in a way that, that, that where they really, it's not like they don't care about the listener. It's just that they're not, there's no, there's not a lot of convention in it. They're just kind of just going for it. And, um, and, and it was like, wow, you know, what a, what an approach, but yeah, it wasn't something that I, 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 even though I saw, I liked punk bands. I mean, I used to see black flag all the time. I saw discharge. I, I was into that. But this was something else. And um, but I knew the guys and they were way into it. They were into Terrorizer and they were into like all, all stuff. Dino also was, in, you know, this is pre I think it was pre Fear Factory. Maybe Fear Factory was happening then. But it's just a group of guys that we'd hang out with. And um, we decided, you know, with this, it would be something that was so extreme that you probably couldn't show your face because it, culturally speaking, Mexico was a pretty conservative place back then, you know, it was pretty, and it still is. And, you know, this is at that time, it was, it was really pretty, I would say offensive is the word. I, I mean, it was all done with, with a good 
sense of humor, but not everyone understood that though, which is what's interesting is, and the people thought you guys were Mexican gangsters. Exactly. Exactly. And so we, we never showed who we were and we didn't play gigs really. And we kind of wanted, you know, when I was playing in the band, it was, it was like, you know, we, we'd get this like royalties, like, because it was working, it was selling and, you know, I would just get it and go straight to Las Vegas with, with whatever they gave me because <laughs> it was blood money. It was dirty money. You know? Really? And, and, and yeah, we were like, you know, this is like what we're doing this fucked up thing. Like, it's never going to be like a real band, like because bands start getting into politics and they start, you know, they have all these things that the band. And that, that's really the hook for me, too, is like I already have one of those. You know, this is something that really like I can get. It's all the good and none of the bad. Right. Um, but, you know. Things changed. Some people wanted to start doing gigs. People want to stop taking out, taking out their mask. They wanted to put their names on the credits. And it's like, this is turning into a little something that, that, you know, I didn't get into it for, but it's cool, you know? And so I, I left Brujeria around 99. So I was in it for about four years, five years. Great, great fun. Cool, but cool guys. But, um, but I haven't, I haven't been in it since then. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, that also makes sense against the, the, the Dino being a part of it. And then you ending up playing some bass tracks on a Fear Factory record and producing those tracks. That was the link. Is, yeah, I hadn't made that connection in my mind until you mentioned that he was in Brujeria earlier. I actually produced the first uh, Fear Factory demo cassette. Really amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not that I knew what I was doing and it didn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think that uh i think at that demo session the one thing that that they got for me was um i showed dino like hey look listen to this like listen to you got this song like and i got a keyboard i said okay play these key notes underneath it to blend ah uh, yeah it's now full it sounds and he was like wow and they always had electronics after yeah. that very but, um, interesting but but I've known those guys, like Raymond, drummer. I mean, I know since they were kids, you know. It's, it's interesting what, like, growing up in an area will do to a scene and to your career and how certain groups of people over time have all become successful at the same time. You think about San Francisco with Thrash, which you're mentioning right now. Right. You think about Florida. Montreal's the same thing with death metal. Uh, sure. Sweden has the same thing sure. with melodic death metal. It's, it's just so damn cool how certain areas... It is, breed it is cool. successful musicians and creative people. I, 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 you can't make it up. It's, it's, there's no formula to it. You know, and also that there's a system, there's like a, there's a, like a, it's like an ecosystem there that it creates where, you know, these guys can develop and like become something. I mean, I was a pretty shitty bass player, you know, <laughs> you know when I was in my teens, you know, I was, I mean, not that I'm great now, but I was pretty shitty. Uh, but just being there and playing a lot and being part of the scene and like just getting getting this, you know, flavor that I got from being around the people and playing in the bands you play. And, and you see these places like, you know, you're talking about like Florida and Sweden, like there's this certain flavor that gets developed and it's a lot of people doing it together. It's it's cool. And, it, and it's very much tied to the area it comes from. It's really cool. I think it also ties down to locations, too, within the area. Uh, Morris Sound for Florida. Um, for Montreal, I, I tied to a few key places. The Medley, uh, Cité de Mille, which is like a jam room uh, where many of the bands have gone through. So I think that like there needs to be like really cool small clubs 
for bands to hang out, be it Fufun Electric, another one here in Montreal, obviously, uh, to to get the chance to play and to see each other play and to hang out together and have that healthy sense of competition is another thing that really has built these cultures. Yeah. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, something that did happen here, and I was not there because I was very young, and I imagine you know where I'm going with this. Uh, Montreal, 92, um, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Faith No More at the Olympic Stadium. Now, I've read a lot about this throughout my life because it's probably one of the biggest things that happened in metal here that tainted the name of metal and rock. And I actually remember being young and my dad telling me that Timmy and I've told many stories about Timmy, who was the, my babysitter's son, who showed me uh, Alice Cooper. He showed me uh, horror, early horror movies, um, just Peter Frampton with the talking. Um, he was at that show. So, so I've read about this. If people don't know what it is, it's the night that James got burnt on stage. Um, Axel went up and then he left the stage and there was 53,000 people there and about 3,000 of them rioted because they didn't get the experience they wanted. Now, Faith No More was the only band that played that night. So do you have any memories from that night being backstage at Olympic Stadium and feeling like everything was going to go to shit? No. And and I'll tell you why. Um, because on that tour, Guns N' Roses had this habit of going on two hours late every night. Two or three hours late all the time. I mean, every single show, I would say. And so, you know, we would play you know, regular time, 7 p.m., and they wouldn't hit the stage till 11 at night. That's brutal. Uh, and people started realizing that and started coming later. Really? You know? So we, we would play for, like, sometimes, you know, these huge places, you know, and there'd be, like, 300 people you know, oh, watching shit. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got smart to that, too, and we're like, well, fuck, you know. I mean, they're not going to go on for hours. We play, you know, let's drive to the next city and, uh, you know, just chill and wake up, wake up there, you know? Uh, so that's what we did that night in Montreal. We played and we got in the bus and we drove. So I heard about it in the newspaper the next day. We really? were even there. Do you remember like the vibe the next day? They had a couple riots on their, on that tour. <laughs> they, they had a few where people were just like losing it. Um, they would really push the crowd. And I would, you know, there's something about that. Like I like personally, I like the energy when things are like that, like free riot. I, that's kind of my environment. Not I kind of, unstable. I kind of drive there. <laughs> yeah, there's something about uh, the instability, the chaos. Like, 
it's human there's animal oh, yeah. you know i dig that i actually dig that it's not great you know hey i get it you know you pay 50 bucks for a ticket you know and, and you got to go to work tomorrow and, and the guy's not going on stage till midnight and you're pissed yeah that's not cool um but I like rock and roll. I like that little bit dangerous energy. I always have. Um, so that part, that part's okay. Um, but there's a second story that I know someone has told me because he was at this show. I don't know if it's true, and I don't know if you'll have anything to say about this because sometimes we miss things when we're on stage. I heard that Mike got hit in the face with a sandwich at that show. Is that a true? Is that something you remember at all? At the Montreal show. Yeah. I mean, it's extremely, extremely possible. I mean, I, I, a sandwich, that would be something you wouldn't even remember. <laughs> I mean, shit happened all the time. We were also, I mean, at that time, we were confrontational. Hmm. We were just at angel dust. And we really kind of were like, I don't know, we were really in this fuck you mode. Um, but we were, we were all like that. We were kind of like, we're going to go out there and we're going to go fight everybody. And uh, because... Those people that were watching, they weren't necessarily there to see us. They didn't really care about us. And we just kind of went in there like, we're going to just ram our shit down their throat. So, you know, somebody threw a sandwich. I mean, it would be just like, I don't think it would even <laughs> register. I mean, a, bottles would hit. Well, sometimes we tell people to throw coins, which... Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. It, but the drummer didn't like that. No, I'd imagine not. <laughs> He, he couldn't. He had to stay there, getting hit. His by hands it. are busy. <laughs> but he had to play. I could hide. I could. I could play behind like an amp or something. But <laughs> he'd have like red marks on his head, and he'd be so pissed off, like steam would be coming out of his head. <laughs> um, you did come back to Montreal um, for heavy Montreal. When I was on tour, and I missed it sadly. Yeah. Um, is there any relationship to Montreal? This is a Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops episode. Do you have any specific relationship to Montreal? When I say Montreal, what comes to mind? Uh, well, you know, after that show was the last show of our tour, I stayed for a week. So I hung out and I checked it out. Yeah. I mean, number one, smoked meats. <laughs> Fucking great. Shorts is amazing. People said, yeah, it's like Katz's Deli, but better. And it's like, this is impossible. <laughs> and I went there and I was like, you know, it's pretty fucking good. Um, Montreal is a great, great city. I, I've only been there, you know, I think that, 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 that show was in September, October. So the weather was still nice. I'd never experienced a winter there, but it's a place I could live. Uh, but I'd have to go to see what winter was like first. It's cold. <laughs> because I'm a California boy. <laughs> but, uh, but fantastic. I mean, there, there, a lot of, a lot of places, a lot of stuff from all over the world, um, they're very authentic, and uh, I dug it a lot. Oh, the bagels, the bagels, yes. bagels. Ridiculous. Way better than New York. Way better than New Ridiculous. York. Ridiculous. Oh, wood-fired bagels. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, way better. <laughs> um, so it's really important to me that I've been talking about a lot recently is mental health. Um, what do you do when you're not feeling well? What is your tactic to keep you positive and pull yourself out of the weeds? Uh one, I don't, I mean, my, my wife might tell you I'm kind of a depressing person, actually. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily try to pull myself out of the weeds. I tend to embrace it a little bit, uh, uh, my depression, um, when I am. Um, I really have made a connection with uh, diet and psychology. 
things like 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 sugar it makes me it gets me down really 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 bad uh so i don't eat sugar anymore beer is actually kind of a rare thing because it's it's very it's much like drinking sugar uh it's it's like eating a loaf of bread um i might i might not sleep so well tonight i i love it um but i i have a real thing with with i don't know if it's carbohydrates or it's just blood sugar but um i've made a real association with, with mental health stuff um you know what? I, let's see. I mean, I've gone through three different phases in my life with different mental states. So what I do now isn't what I would have done then. But um, now I try to just really disengage myself from physical stimulus that aren't healthy. Stay away from assholes, that kind of thing. It's not always easy, though. <laughs> no, it's not easy. But but dealing and dealing with them is not easy. And learning how to deal with them not e- is not easy. But you know the, the 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 tough part of it is actually, I mean this is stupid, but I actually think it is good for you. I, I know people that I know people who don't they engineer their lives to where they don't have conflict. No, and that's not healthy at all. No, as the as the years go by, it really wears on them. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a good it's not a good thing. You have to have a certain amount of conflict in your life. Um, but wow, I mean. I don't know. Mental health, mental health is really tricky. It's a really amorphous thing. You know, it, it could be, you know, physically based. It, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot, there's a lot that can go into to, to mental health issues. And it, I, I think, you know, they can be really hard to diagnose. I mean, I, I was in a motorcycle accident five years ago and I had some mental issues for a couple of years, you know, from the concussion that, I had to remember, remind myself that I was in an accident, you know, and it was classic, you know, TBI brain injury thing. But, but, you know, when it happens in your head, it's so subjective. Mm-hmm. It's not something happening to you. Like my arm hurts. It's your world. Yeah. Your yeah, world yeah. is dark, you know, you know, it's hard to like step away and look at it from a distance. Very, very hard to step away because your brain is your processor. Mm-hmm. So, it's processing, but it's also the pro- part that's experiencing the difficulty. It's very hard to separate the two. I, at least I'm speaking for myself, you know? Yeah. Something that happened to you that it's a big subject. You can say we don't want to talk about it, and that's okay. Uh, you were building up, relaunching a New Faith No More tour, and then Mike came out with the he needs to take a break for his mental health. Um, I just spoke with Justin Pearson's. I sent him an email saying happy release day. He dropped that new dead cross. And I said, I hope to see you maybe in Montreal one day. And he said, um, I'm not sure if Mike's up for it to do any touring for anything. So, so when all that happens, what do you do for your friend? That's not feeling well. It's a good question. That's a good question. Um, well, it's important that my friend who's not feeling well has a support system. That's important. It's important that he's being looked after. Um, it's a really good question. Um, this, for me, that's yeah, a good question. I've got to think about that. I will I will have an answer for you before this is over. Don't worry, no, because it's hard as a, like a band side of things because there's a lot that goes into prepping for a tour. Yeah, that part's tough. That that that's definitely tough. I mean, hey, we we didn't play for five years, and it took us about two months to really 
physically get there where we're like, yeah. we can do this now, you know? I mean, we're very, we're physical music and, and you know, we're getting older and I'm turning 60 this year. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, written music written by 18, 20 year olds. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a, there's a certain, I mean, bands are families. Mm-hmm. They're dysfunctional like families are. Um, things don't exist in a vacuum. They're not, they're not, there's lots of things that, that, that create situations that happen now. And um, you want to be there to support people who need it when they need it. And you have to also kind of like, you know, you got to be strong when you got to be strong. And that's, that's the best way I could put it. I, I think, I think for me, I'm kind of a kind of person that's a, uh, an appeaser. I like to make people happy. So, um, it's very difficult for me to have boundaries with people sometimes. And, um, you know, when you're not used to doing that and you, and you feel you, you empathize with something somebody's going through, it's very hard to like, you know, do what you think is the right thing to do. And when you want to do the other thing, I don't know if I'm being very clear. I'm understanding. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. Because it's it's very difficult. It's I can only imagine. Because you on one side you're you're like torn as an individual. There's the the family member that's in need of you, but his need of you is to not be with you because he needs to take care of himself. And then there's the building up everything that you've been building up to get back on the road with with. It's the, I'm telling you, you know, we can have this call five years from now and we probably <laughs> talk a little more frankly. Okay. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a touchy situation. I understand completely. Um, I'm looking forward to finally one day seeing you guys on stage. Uh, so, something that it is interesting that is faith. No more is the main project for you. Uh, you have the, the Yebiga, which is another big project for you. Uh, Mike has gone on to start a bunch of projects that all seem to be like little main projects for him and his record label. You have a cool arrow as well. That's running. Uh, you, you've been in a bunch of super groups, but there's been no new, like sort of project. That's just your new baby. I'm curious as to why that never was. My baby would sound like faith no more. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm stuck with it. It's my signature. I got my sick, my hands all my fingerprints all over it. I, anything I do is going to be compared to faith no more. Um, I will do something aside. Actually, I do something outside of faith no more that does not sound like faith no more. I, I, that I forgot all that. Have you heard of the talking book? Uh, No, no, that's interesting. I do. I do a very abstract, uh, cinematic thing. In fact, I'm, we did a score. We scored a film that's going to be at the Amsterdam Film Festival. I'm going there on Sunday to Amazing. support it. The talking um, book. It's going really well, actually. Yes. Uh, cool. It's very. This guy Jared, who's like a he's like a visual like a, a music concrete kind of artist, who I got to know in San Francisco. We started like we. I, I listened to a lot of industrial music back in the day, back in the '80s early stuff and i saw throbbing gristle right before they split up the first time and i was way into that and he he really liked that stuff and we kind of like got into this thing where we were sampling records at like really slow speed 16 rpm and we started creating sound collages and uh we started trying to make them musical and uh that's that's pretty cool that's that's been something that i've done with musically that's not faith no more 
I think that's awesome. And I'm excited to checking it out to, to mm. uncovering a new layer of Bill. I would like that very much. Uh, something that we've both collaborated on, but not together, sadly, was uh, The Kings of Quarantine. That's ran by Jason Rockman. Oh. Slaves on Dope. Were you, were you on that? Uh, I was, but not on a track that you performed on. I was on... Uh, just another victim. Talk to me about in being involved with that. Uh, you were sort of like the comedic relief at the end of the video, video as well. Jason's a cool guy. Um, talk to me a little bit about that experience. And it was sort of, it was a fundraising for Roadie Relief, I believe is. Right. It was a Roadie, yeah, Roadie Relief Fund or something like that. They were, they were, the first thing they did was, we, I think it was We Care A Lot. Um, and I, I've heard bands do tribute, like covers, covers of us. And I was like, you know, it's always makes me uncomfortable because I usually don't like them. Uh, but this one, I was like, you know, they kind of got the energy of the song right. Like, I was kind of impressed. Like, there was something about it that came across on the video. I was like, it's all right. It's cool, you know. And and, and I think I wrote to them even and told them, like, you guys did good, you know. And um, they were doing this this uh, public enemy thing. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll do it. And Puffy was like, yeah, why not? And, um, yeah, just good. Just a good energy and and. It was just cool. It was just fun. I like I like the guys. I like Jason. I know him now. You know, he sent me some bagels in the mail. Did he? Amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And some hot sauce too. He's got some hot sauce. That's yes, he badass. does. Heartbeat hot sauce. It's good. <laughs> Love him to death. Shout out to Al Borbohakis, an old time friend that went off to Thunder Bay to start a hot sauce company, and he's killing it. I love beer. I make beer collabs. I've released. 60 to 80 of them in the past four years love doing that you got yebiga but if you were to make a beer for yourself and or faith no more uh what would be the perfect beer for you the perfect beer would be a cider it would be a super super gamey basque style cider that would be a faith no more beer I would like that very much. what would you call it what would you call it that's a, <laughs> it's completely Ooh, different that's <laughs> good that's 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 a good question. I don't know. I actually don't know. <laughs> I think we would all dig. That was something we would all dig. We like the gamey shit. Mm, the leather. Something with some some the leather exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, one last question. Classic Vox and Hops wrap up question. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you very often because uh, well, unless you're drinking a little bunch of Yabiga. That 80% proof, or if you're diving back to that malt liquor, maybe just, you know, to relive some youth experiences. But every once in a while, it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? Oh, I mean, I drink a lot of water before I go to bed. I mean, that's for sure. Um, it's just water and coffee for me. Coffee, actually. And it's it's actually been proven that coffee, uh, just black coffee, uh, is really good for you actually after a night of drinking it's really good for your liver the more bitter the better i got yeah. that covered yeah <laughs> the, the young kids in my life good. Yes. <laughs> bill thank you so so much for hanging out with me talking about your life music and craft beer a little bit yes nice to meet you I'm very stoked to have met you i've been a fan for a very long time so i was looking forward to this knowing knowing your band i'm i'm very uh i'm very grateful that a band like yours and you would like something that i do that to me, is so much poppier than than, than, than what you do. Flo Mounier loves you guys. My drummer, he, he worships Faith No More. Massive cheers to you. I really appreciate that. This was awesome. Cheers to you. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an 
awesome conversation. First off, I have to give a massive shout out and a huge thank you to Christophe Gagné of the Metal Maniac podcast. He introduced me to Bill and I greatly, greatly appreciate that. He knows how much of a Faith No More fan I am. So I was beyond stoked when he offered to make this introduction. What a great conversation. What a killer time I had with Bill. I was extremely nervous going into this one, even after doing over 380 episodes. I still get nervous when I sit down with people that I truly adore and I truly do adore Faith No More. It's a band that I listen to very frequently and I have been listening to for the past 20 years. So I I was nervous before getting into this, but I immediately felt at ease with Bill. What a cool, genuine human he is. Just so laid back, so open, so honest. I just, I can't thank him enough for taking the time to hang out with me. Massively stoked that I had the chance to connect with him. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a month that will contain all of the details of everything that has been happening recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Middle Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. You also get to hear about any projects that I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And trust me, I always have a lot of stuff going on. You will also get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is available on both Apple Music and Spotify. Trust me, if you're looking for any new music to listen to, well, check out the Brutal Awakenings playlist. Jerry just has an ear for brand new music. He has his finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world of metal. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. You will definitely find an album that you will cherish forever. There's just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. I'd hate for you to miss a single thing, so sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I have one more episode coming up this Friday, and it's actually the last episode of 2022. That's right. I'm taking a month off. I will be back on January 10th with new episodes. Episodes. So get ready for this massive episode dropping on Friday because it's the last one for 2022. Until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Fox and Hops heads. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. It is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.